This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, we've been in this series called The Seven, and today we're going to continue with it. This is the third week of a seven-week series we started two weeks ago, talking about the courageous core values of this church. What is courageous culture? What does it mean to live a courageous life in the earth? And what is the unique calling that God has placed upon us as a people? I believe this. Every local church has a calling. Number one, we're all called to the Great Commission. We're called to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by the way, we're going to do that today. But I also believe that every local church has a unique expression, we could call it. Uh, it has an assignment given to it by God that only that church can fulfill. If you open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation, you'll see there that there are many letters written to the churches, plural. And they're all different. And all the churches got their own issues. <laughs> and they got their own thing that Jesus is, is both calling them to and challenging them in. And I believe that one of the things the Lord has called us to is to be a courageous people, to give people permission to punch fear in the face. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of living a fearful life. I'm tired of allowing the world and the media and the news outlets to control the outcome and to dictate to me the terms of my living. And I believe that as a courageous people living in the earth today, one of the things that the Lord has called us to is to be passionate about prayer. We talked about that three weeks ago. I also believe that one of the things that he's called us to is to be devoted to Jesus. We talked a lot about worshiping Jesus. What does it mean to risk everything you have to follow Jesus, to worship Jesus? And today we're going to be talking about generosity. I believe that one of the core values of this church, one of the seven core distinctives and callings, you could call them assignments that the Lord has given us, is to be the champions of generosity in this valley. Not a lot of amens on that one. I believe God has called us to champion the cause of generosity, both first among us as a family and body and church, but then out there in the valley. And I believe that God calls us to this because God himself is a giver. God himself is generous. John 3.16 says it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. The primary reason we are committed to generosity, there it is, is because it's at the center of God's heart for you and for me. It's the heartbeat of God to give. God is an outgiving God. Therefore, if any person, that's you or I, is in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation being molded and conformed into the image of his son, into the image of his likeness. Meaning that if our God is a giver, you and I should be too. And I want to talk about this today because I so believe that this church is supposed to be committed to generosity. I so believe it. It's so burning within my heart that God constantly challenges me on this every day. And I believe this. Generosity should be challenging to us. God should be stretching you and increasing your capacity to give if you're willing and open to let him do it. Generosity is at the heartbeat of God. It's also at the heartbeat of the gospel. 
God could have demanded that we pay for our sins, but instead he gave. Instead he gave everything, everything for us. I believe that one of the biggest ways that we're gonna make a difference in our city is by embracing a spirit of generosity. I really believe this. And I know for some of you, this might be a real challenge for you and praise God, buckle up, let's go. But I believe this, Jesus is inviting us to become the kinds of people that love to give and that live to give. That love to give, meaning it's not a chore, it's not a task, something that we don't look forward to, but something that we absolutely love. We love to give and we live to give. We look for opportunities all around us to be givers. Today we're going to look at three ways, just three, there are more. We're going to look at three ways that I believe God calls every believer to be courageously committed to a life of generosity. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, as a church, we generously give of our time. We invest our time for the kingdom of God. We believe that one of the most powerful things that we all possess as people is time. It's one of the most important commodities that we have. And we get to decide what we're going to do with it. Every day, you and I have been given 24 hours. And it's an even playing field. Meaning that none of us possess more time than anybody else. And none of us possess less time than anybody else. The good news is that we all have the same amount of time. And I believe that Jesus gives us enough time within our day to do absolutely everything that he's called of us. Can I say that again? Jesus gives you and me enough time in our day to do every single thing that he wants from you. Now, what's the issue? The issue is that we get distracted, don't we? We have these things called smartphones, these little distraction devices. Aren't they great with their little red notifications? How many of you just let those pile up? Show of hands. How many of you absolutely have to clear it? I just found all the OCDs in the room. I am one of them. You are welcome in this place. But we have distractions, right? And sometimes it's not just our cell phone. Sometimes it's our kids. How many of you have kids? How many have young kids? A lot of us. Woo-hoo-hoo. Talk about a world of distraction, right? What are we going to do? We got all this stuff happening, swirling around us, and we're trying to stay focused, You live with these distractions. And sometimes it's not your kids or your phone. Sometimes it's your work. You just get distracted or by work or by things or by obligations or appointments. Whatever it is, if we're not careful, we can allow distractions to rule us. But I believe that God gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can live a disciplined life, so that we can say no to the things that don't matter and say yes to the things that do. And I want to encourage you to invest your time for the kingdom of God means to say yes to the things that God wants you to say yes to this year. To say no to the things he wants you to say no to this year. I just learned a new term the other day, FOMO. (laughs) Okay, so I'm sitting in a room with my wife. We're at a meeting, and this person throws this term out super nonchalant, like I'm supposed to know what this means. Am I just getting old? Yes. But am I just out of touch? Yes. What's going on? What is this word? So I had to go to my phone and look it up. FOMO means the fear of missing out. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that in a thousand years. The fear of missing out is apparently a real social disorder now. People get anxiety. They get stir crazy. They actually panic and and, and allow fear to come into their life because they're afraid of missing out on something. 
So you're scrolling through your Facebook and you see that event, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta be there. I gotta be a part of that. What's gonna happen to me if I can't go? And it's funny, and we laugh, but the truth is, a lot of us have this fear and we don't know what to do with it. And as a result, we give our time to everything and we say yes to everything. And we overcommit and sometimes underdeliver. Come on, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know why Jesus said that? Because the Pharisees were manipulating people into saying yes to things that they shouldn't have been saying yes to. And they knew that then by the law, they could then hold them accountable and crush them and hold that over them and and lord that over them. And so Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew 5 and says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I mean, don't try to manipulate people and don't give in to fear, the fear of missing out on every event and every little thing that comes your way. How many know there's always gonna be another thing and another event and another opportunity to give your yes to? So time is this powerful commodity God has given us. When it's invested rightly for the kingdom of God, it helps us establish our true priorities. It helps us to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. Ephesians 5 says this, verse 15 through 16, look carefully then how you walk, church, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. There it is, because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Something we should ask ourselves, are we making the best use of our time? Are we wasting it unwisely on things that don't matter? Something to be thinking about. Make a decision, put a plan into place, and then follow through. The Holy Spirit will help us because the Holy Spirit is our helper, amen? As a church, we generously give of our time. We believe that. So we give of our time, and number two, we generously give of our talents and gifts, We invest our talents and gifts for the kingdom of God. I believe this. Everyone is talented at something. Everyone is talented at something. So don't believe the lie that you're not talented. Sometimes we go, oh, that person's so talented. I don't have any talents. That's not true. If you are alive and breathing, you've been talented. Okay? Talents are natural abilities given to you by birth that will require from you discipline. It will require you to execute them to grow them, to recognize them. These are natural abilities. Gifts, on the other hand, are supernatural abilities, not given to you by birth through your parents, but given to you by rebirth through your heavenly father. So when you become a Christian and you place your hope, faith, trust in Jesus, he breathes his spirit into your life. The Bible says actually no man can call upon Jesus but by his spirit. And so he indwells you with his Holy Spirit so that you can be endowed with spiritual gifts. And these are supernatural abilities to help you and to help people around you. And so you have both talents and gifts. And you have the choice about what you're going to do with them. And like talents, gifts, you have to recognize them. You have to develop them. You have to exercise them. You have to do that with both. Both have to be grown. And I will say this. They're not just given to you for you, for your sake, meaning for your benefit. God gives you gifts so that you can benefit others, so that you could serve people, so that you could serve the body of Christ. And it doesn't matter how many you've been given. It doesn't matter how many talents or gifts you have. It matters what you do with them. Can I read you this story from Matthew chapter 25? It's a little long, verses 14 through 30, but it paints a great picture of what God wants us to embrace in the way that we steward, that means manage, our talents and gifts. Now, in this context, the word talent actually is referring to money. 
But I want you to still receive the principle from this story, which speaks about how we invest wisely the things that God's given us. Verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Okay, so he increased what he had. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So he increased what he had. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled his accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. And he said, master, you've delivered to me five talents. Here, I doubled what you gave me. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you gave me two talents and here I made two more. I doubled what you gave me. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I need to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Okay, so the posture of this guy's heart was really bitter. Meaning like, oh, well, you had all this wealth. Well, you didn't, really, you didn't really earn that. You didn't really work for that. I mean, someone gave that to you. And so he's already viewing his master with this bitter, almost entitled, hurt view. Do you see it? Do you see it in the text? I knew you to be a hard man. We were never told anywhere that he was a hard man. Reaping where you didn't sow. We were never told anywhere that he reaped where he didn't sow. So this man makes a lot of assumptions. And as a result of his assumptions and bitterness and fear, he says this. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent, what you gave me in the ground. I buried it. Here, it's yours. But his master said to him, you wicked and you slothful servant. There's an exclamation mark there so I can kind of grind it. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. There's a question mark. You know this somehow? You know that you know my heart? You know what I've been about? You know what I've done? Well, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. So now he flips the script. And he says to him, you should have invested it with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So here's what I want you to do. Take the talent from this guy and give it to the one who has the 10. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, I'm like, geez, Jesus, that's a little intense. The guy didn't invest his money at all, but like, really? Should he be cast out and everything stripped from him and and placed in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which, by the way, is sort of a reference to hell, Gehenna, if you want to call it that. And Jesus tells us this parable, and it's meant to be striking because Jesus knows that he has entrusted to us as his followers, as his disciples, talents and gifts. And his question to us is, what are you doing with what I've given you? Why are you worried about what somebody else has? Why are you focusing on the rich when you should be investing wisely what I've given you? Why are you making a big deal about what they have when you haven't even begun to utilize what I've given you? Now, in this context, it's money. But that could also be said for the talents and gifts that he's given us. A lot of times we look at people in life, for me, I'll use myself as an example. Sometimes I look at people that I want to emulate or, or model my life after, and I say things like, wow, they're so talented, 
and they're so good at what they do. And wow, look at the size of their church. And wow, look at the size of their offerings. And wow, look at the impact they're having in their city. And wow, look how many people they've been able to baptize in a weekend. And I start to get my gaze off of what God's given me. And as a result, by looking at other people's stuff, you start trampling over your own thing and it gets buried. And God goes, I'm not gonna hold you accountable to what I've given them, but I will hold you accountable to what I've given you. So what's in your hand? So what have I given you? He holds us accountable for what he has given us, not for what he hasn't. And here's the good news. Those that were given were given more because they took what they had and they grew it. They expanded it. And I believe that we all have a responsibility to grow our our talents and our gifts, to take what God has given us and to exercise those things, to develop those things, to increase those things. Jesus, because you gave it all to me, I will give everything to you. Once again, this is about our heart's response to a generous God who gives, who loved us so much that he gave his son. And just like with our time, We're called not to squander or waste what we have, but invest it for the expansion of his kingdom. Practically, this is what it means to serve somebody and giving your time to serve somebody else besides yourself. This is why we ask you to go through growth track and to jump into serving because we believe that God created you to become a generous person with both your time and your talents and gifts. And we wanna help you. We wanna equip you. We wanna empower you to make a difference serving others. In just a few weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about that. First Peter 4.10 says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I love that. As each one of us has received something from God, so if you know how to cook, just cook for people. If you know how to make things or you know how to, to create wealth, do those things under the glory of God and do so to serve one another. That's why he's given us this grace. So we invest our time, we invest our talents and gifts. And number three today, we courageously give of our treasure. We invest our treasure for the kingdom of God. Just like with our time and talents, we're called to be generous with our treasure. This means with our money and with our resources. And I will say this, at Courageous Church, we believe that everyone is called to give in proportion to what you have received. Listen to what God says about it. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 17. And he's saying this to the people. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Some of you might be saying, well, that's Old Testament, Jason. That's Old Testament, not so fast. Paul says the same exact thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. Every Sunday, each of you must put aside some money in proportion to what you have earned and save it up so there will be no need to collect any money when I come. What he's saying is that there's no need for me to have to take a special offering because everybody is giving in proportion to the way that God has blessed them. I want to set a tone today, not just for how we invest our time and our talents and gifts, but also how we invest our treasure, how we embody generosity in the way that we give of our money and resources. I believe this, God loves a cheerful giver. He does. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says this, each one of you must give as he or she has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, or because somebody told you to, right, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In this sense, what this means is that it's not equal giving, but it is equal sacrifice. As the people of God, we are all called to support the work of God. And here's what I've come to learn about it. Everyone can give something. So if you have $50 and that's all God's blessed you with, 
Give in proportion to what you have and give your $50. If you've been given $500, give $500. If you've been given $5,000, come on, somebody. Give $5,000. Give in proportion to the way the Lord has blessed you and do so not reluctantly. I don't want to have to do this. Or compulsion, because Pastor Jason told you to. But give because out of your heart, you want to embody generosity. You want to do so because you know that God gave up everything for you. And as a result, you're called to give and to be a giver. Notice it says each one must give. We're commanded to give. And I could probably put up a thousand scriptures, and I'm not going to do that today. But give what you have and be cheerful about it. And watch how God increases your capacity to give more. The Old Testament mandate for giving has always been 10%. We call it the tithe. Some of you might be familiar with this. And we believe in tithing. It's honoring God essentially with the first fruits of your income. And what happens is when you honor God with the first fruits of what comes in, it allows him to redeem the rest, meaning to put a blessing upon the rest of your finances. But the New Testament mandate for giving is actually more. Hello. It's recognizing that everything you have belongs to God and that he has made you a steward of what he's given you. So the question isn't what you're going to give. The question really is what you're going to keep. We don't believe in demanding the tithe. You'll never hear me get up here and say that. We don't believe in demanding offerings. But you know what we do believe in? Freely giving them. We believe that giving is supposed to be heart-driven. At the end of the day, a spirit of generosity isn't about counting percentages. In fact, that's actually kind of missing the point. Are there practical values to tithing? Yes. Number one, it allows you to establish a budget. It allows the grip of materialism and consumerism to be broken off of our lives because we've created margin in our life to be intentional about how we're going to invest our resources, about how we're going to give. I believe that when you honor God with your best, he honors you with his best. And that's something that we as a church aspire to do each and every year, to give more than we've given the previous year because we've trusted God with our resources and we've created more room for him to work within our lives. Some of you might be wondering, so we'd love to go on the record with this. How do we manage the money that comes in? Let's just get right into the soup and nuts. I want to go on record because there's people in this room today that have, that have no clue how finances in a church work. And I want to debunk some things and I want to illuminate some things because I believe that we are called to be a people above reproach, to be a people that are transparent, that are real, that are honest, so that you guys can have confidence, not only in this guy and our leadership and our team, but confidence that we are actually stewarding and investing wisely what is being given. Okay, so here's how it works. Thank you for the, the hand clap. We tie 10% of everything that comes into this church to missions and church planning. This includes outreach. This includes things like City Serve. Uh, this includes things like the jail ministry that we're going to do this year. This includes food distribution, clothing, renewal projects, all the things that I stood up here a couple weeks and said we're going to do. We tie 10% off everything that comes into missions and church planning. We believe that God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing. So it's really important that we always remember that by keeping God first in our life, we honor him with 10. We believe that. And we believe that he'll always bless this church and bless our generosity when we're faithful to bless other people. 
The first thing the Lord challenged me to do when I first moved here almost two years ago, a year and a half ago, was to go to different churches and give offerings. I believe that personally, God has challenged this church from day one to be a generous people and to sow when we didn't think we had seed to sow and to go and to bless when we didn't think we had the means to bless. And I will tell you this, the very next day that we did that, floodgates opened up over our life. Checks in the mail, people giving from places I don't even know. People were like, how can we help you? We know you're planning Courageous Church. We know it takes a lot of money to plan a church. How can we help you? And so I just want to say this. We are practicing what we preach, and we believe that 10% of everything that comes in will always go to missions and church planting. We believe in that. We believe in the work of God. We set our operating budget at 20%. This includes what we spend on doing ministry, what it takes to actually run the ministries of our church. We've set our facilities budget at 35%. This includes our overhead and the cost to rent space and to store our equipment. And lastly, we've designated 35% for salaries so that we can pay our pastoral staff and those that we've commissioned to lead ministry within this church. Our goal is always to have margin that we can put toward the next operating year so that we can build reserves and be fiscally responsible with every dollar that comes in. We believe that if we're faithful with little, he will make us faithful with much. So we've said, you know what, Lord, we're going to trust you that as you increase, as you raise the water level, everything else is blessed. Everything else is blessed. We have an external board of trustees that manages and oversees our resources and an external accounting firm that we've hired to manage our books so that we can be honorable in all things. Come on, somebody. So why do I tell you this? Well, most of you have probably never heard a pastor stand before you and say that. How many of you have? One or two? I tell you this because not everybody knows how finances actually work. Most assume wrongly. And number two, we want to be transparent. We want you to trust that we are being wise with what's coming in, but we can't do it alone. We want to encourage you to be courageously committed to this work, to this house, with your giving. We've gone all in, and others have too. We've invested everything and thrown our lives on the line for this work, for Courageous Church, because, hear my heart, because we believe in what God wants to do. We believe that through Alpha and through community groups and through wicked services and missions and city serve, that we're going to reach people that need to be reached. People that absolutely need what you and I have. And it's time for the church in America to wake up. It's time for us to get uncomfortable. It's time for us to allow the word of God to challenge us again. It's time to stop looking into the mirror and walking away and forgetting what we look like. We are better than we've been behaving. And we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have God himself living within us. Jesus, the hope of glory, is in us. Therefore, why are we squandering what we have? Why are we hiding our light under bushels? You know why? Because we're afraid. And that, my friends, is why the Lord has called this house to be a courageous people. Courageous in the way that we give our time. Courageous in the way that we give our talents and gifts. And courageous in the way that we give our treasure, our money, and our resources. We believe this. Everyone can give of their time, talents, and treasure. God's already actually given you the grace to do it. Did you know that? Listen to what Paul says to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-5. through 5. And now, brothers and sisters, my faithful family, the body of Christ, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he's highlighting someone's example. Verse two, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and here's the amazing part, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, not under compulsion or reluctance, they urgently pleaded with us, with the leaders of the church, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. God has already given you the grace to do what he's asking of you. The grace not only to give, but to give above and beyond what you've ever given. You've been graced by God to give. The people welled up in rich generosity. God will stir your heart to overflow in generosity like a well. As much as they were able and even beyond their ability to share in the privilege of serving God's people. I just wanted to point out a couple of those key words and phrases because this is what we're believing for as a church in 2020, that we are gonna be a generous people that are committed to abundant generosity, extravagant generosity. I said this at the very start of the message that God has called this church and this people to be generosity champions. You know what I love about that picture? Because it means that you and I are going to win in the area of giving our time, talent, and treasure. And people are going to look to us and they're going to say, how did you guys do what you set out to do? And we're going to go, it was all the grace of God. We just woke up. It was all the grace of God. We just woke up. Thank you for listening today. To find out more information about our church, including ways you can give, please visit us at courageouschurch.com. Stretch.